Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Biz Dads. We are back now in, what is this, week four maybe of the new season. Excited to be cranking along. We've got a great show for you guys this week. Two really exciting topics. The first, can men and women be friends? Can you be just friends? Platonic. Let's talk about that word a little bit. And then we're going to jump into leadership. Completely flipping the script. How do you become a leader? What makes a leader? What are some of the attributes of being a leader? We'll talk about those things and more. Let's jump into it. This week's Biz Dads. Ann, Andres, what's happening? How was your weekend? Ann, how was your weekend? My weekend was great. I know y'all don't like hearing about my non-COVID friendly trips, but we had a, a cocktail party. And I have not had one of those since college, but we had a like a grown-up cocktail party, and it was really funny. And then we had a mother-daughter winery weekend where four of my high school friends and four of their moms went up to my lake house on Saturday and rented a party bus and bebopped around all the different wineries in North Georgia. And we've been friends for 20 years, so it was a blast. Aren't we supposed to be getting together in person tomorrow? Yes, but... No one I've been around had COVID. All right. I guess I'm rolling the dice. Andres, how was your weekend? Weekend was a disappointment. Chiefs blown out in Super Bowl. But silver linings. Brady, fantastic interview, I thought, before the game. Some people don't like Brady. He's obviously the greatest quarterback of all time. Seven Super Bowls now. One at the hands of my beloved Chiefs. But... It gave me a topic for tonight's show, topic of leadership. So overall, it was a good weekend, despite the loss. Got outside with the kids, did a baseball tryout, uh, baseball camp, I guess, uh, Saturday and uh, last night. Yeah. So it was good. How about you? Baseball is back. You're going to have to listen to a lot of that, Biz Dads. We had Andrew's real first dust-off-the-glove clinic that Renzo was a part of, too, and it was great. Four hours of baseball is not normally something that Andrew would jump all on board with, but he did. He was very focused for all four hours, which I was super excited about because, you know, he just doesn't get into it as much as Ben does. So I think he's starting to develop a love for sports, not whether it's baseball or not, I don't care. But just getting out there and, and you know, running around. Very exciting. Super Bowl. I thought the game would be better. I won both of my bets, which allowed me to finish second in my season-long pool. So it was a, it was a victorious weekend for me because the Bucks won. Uh, sorry about your Chiefs. We had a little, you know, talking about COVID. We we went to a what we thought was going to be a small gathering, and it ended up being a lot of high school kids there too. So we kind of were like, uh, but you know, we stuck around and amazing food. The guy that invited us over is a chef and is just absolutely phenomenal. So that was a great way to end the weekend. And then we jumped right back into baseball, man. This is my third day. We just finished up the third day of baseball for the week. Andrew had tryouts. Ben had tryouts. Practice tonight. So we've been running, man. It's good. I, I had the winter woes. I don't know if you guys get those or not. But like the last two months, not having stuff to do. I kind of was like, well, I don't normally get the winter woes because we're normally, you know, running at a million miles an hour. Do you guys get like kind of the winter, the winter woes, the winter blues? Not so much today. Well, it was a beautiful day. Uh, Renzo is, like you said, doing baseball, but he's also doing uh gymnastics and that is turned into something he's really enjoyed over the last 
couple of months. I don't notice the kids so much for me. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a pretty good rhythm, you know, exercising, doing the show, doing a lot of reading, been doing a meditating thing for a long time now. I feel like not years, but months. So that's, that's been good. But I do hear about people getting that. They're like sort of have spring fever. I had never had it before. And this was the first season. It was like kind of COVID caught up with me. And I'm, I mean, we, I was out of it pretty quickly, but I just first time I kind of noticed it. Anyway, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. You guys want to jump into it? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's jump into this week's Talks with Twist. All right, Twist. This is a big one. It's deep. Why don't you break it down for us? Tell us what's going on. So the reason we got into this topic is because this past weekend, my little sister's best guy friend confessed his love for her for they've been best friends for four years and she was completely shook and taken back by it. So then our whole family has been talking about it for this entire week and we are having quite the battle back and forth of what we think. And I still don't know if I have the right answer, but question is, can men and women have a platonic relationship? Not can men and women be friends, because we all have guy and girl friends, but platonic, the definition of platonic is intimate and affectionate, but not sexual. So meaning a best, best guy friends that you share secrets with, that you're very close with, that you tell things to, that you would tell a girlfriend, but can you have that kind of relationship with a member of the opposite sex? So first you got to define for me, what is intimate? Like what, what would you consider intimate? Is it, is there a flirty line? I consider intimate. Like, could you go to dinner one-on-one with someone of the opposite sex and think that this is completely friendly? That's intimate. I don't know. So I, I don't really consider that intimate. I consider intimate. Like if you're in that restaurant, are you hugging, throwing your arms around one another is there a lot of touching? Are you sharing drinks and food, right, pre-COVID? Are you watching a show on TV and she's throwing her legs over your lap and you're sharing a blanket? Like, that's intimate to me. Is that, on which side of the line does that fall when you are just being friends? Let's let's define intimate. Well, everything you just said, I've done with my past friend guys, so now I'm rethinking my whole entire life that when you said it, it sounded very inappropriate. So now I'm realizing that it is inappropriate. And I think that is intimate if you're like affect that that is intimate. Like you throwing your legs on them, hugging them more than just one hug. That's intimate. Here's where I, I have a strong stance on the platon- the definition of platonic, which most people think when they hear the word platonic, at least I'm assuming, I know I do, is that it's just friends. You're just friends. Take the intimate word out of it. Even though that's part of the definition, I get it. But intimate can be, there are sexual undertones to intimacy, and that's where the line can get very blurry or sometimes crossed. I do not believe that men and women can have a deep friendship-based relationship with that level of intimacy, of there being touching and cuddling, if you will, and those kind of things, because one side is feeling something that the other might not. And I do believe that it is harder on men when women can define a line that is different than the way a man defines the line. If I was in a, in a friendship relationship and a, and a female continued to get more touchy-feely, I start to read signals. And that, when signals start being interpreted, is where 
the whole thing breaks down. So I make the case that you cannot have a simple platonic relationship if there is that intimacy or that that sharing or touching or cuddling or those types of things. I rest my case until so, I do it again. The reason I think it can work is because one, I think it all comes down to attraction if you are attracted to the person and the proximity principle, because it's literally science. The more you hang out with someone, the more you're around them, the more you're going to start having those feelings. But opposite sex friends are tricky, but the reason that they can work is because they require more communication and transparency. So if you're very transparent with them and tell them exactly how you feel and you never let their mind wander about what if, and you squash those early in the beginning, the whole entire relationship, they understand your motives and where you're coming from, then a friendship could form. All right. So when was the last time, when was the last time you had a guy in your life and you said, Hey dude, by the way, we're going to hang out, but it's just going to be friends. So get that out of your mind. And then that was the bar in which you set very early. And then you had a lifelong together friend. What you just talked about is the friend zone, right? Like, dude, you're so in the friend zone and you don't even know it. The problem is they don't know it. One person right. believes because that kind of communication is bubkiss. Andres, have you ever like went up to a girl and be like, hey, you're cool. I like you, but uh, I don't want none of that. And we're just going to be friends. So don't be trying to get up all on me because I know it's hard for you, Andres. Like you like a magnet, right? With the ladies <laughs> back in the day. So, I mean, did you did you lay the foundation early on? I was thinking about the friends I had in high school, I guess high school, probably college, post-college, up until I met Heidi. And then we talked about it, this idea of this topic for the show. And we both had, we both agreed. I was raised, you know, by my mom, who's a therapist. So I, I always felt comfortable talking about stuff, right, with, with girls, with my friends. And my particular group of friends, Brad, who you've met, we have a couple of there's a couple of girls in that group who are just, they're just they're so part of the crew and and we we honk on each other and one of the couples they're now married and I was really close friends with a couple of the girls who kind of lived together after college but over time and especially when we started our family and our kids were born it just, I don't want to say fizzled, but it, you know, it became more about like Christmas cards and catching up and, you know, reunions and, and less about the stuff that made that friendship what it was when we were younger. And so then I asked Heidi, do you think guys and girls can be friends on this level, this platonic level? And we kind of both said it's, it's kind of tough. Now, I do know people, they're single that have friends of the opposite sex and they they seem to be very close. I just don't know, you know, I, I don't know how they define it. Um, or if there ever was a history, maybe they had a kiss or, you know, it, it sort of got more serious. And then they both kind of said, no, it's better that we're just friends. I've seen example, or I guess I've heard of examples where it's kind of strange where, you know, the guy maintains friendships with somebody, you know, another girl. And that's, I don't know. That just feels very strange. It feels yeah, very weird. It's, it, I, I just don't never, see how it works. There is never an opportunity for someone to openly set the proper boundaries at the outset of a relationship. 
you know, because you always have feelings one way or another about someone, they don't have to be sexual feelings, but you have feelings about someone. You have a first impression and your first impressions aren't always going to match. Like, and you and I have talked about this before that I know that you've got a lot of great friends that you hang out with and more times than not, you, we've even, we've even joked about how some of these guys aren't just friends. Like they're not in this just to be friends that like I've been on both sides of the equation. I've been on the, the guy side more than I have where you are friends with a girl and you're like, Hey, I could actually see us together. They're like, kind of, well, you know, it's cool. I like it. And then she has no interest. I get over it. But there's that heartbreaking moment when you have to realize like, man, all right. She doesn't like me that way. I get it. And then the relationship changes forever. I do know people in my life where I, I would say they are dating other people. They're seeing other people, but they have a very close friendship, the very, a very emotional connection. They talk about very real deep stuff that kind of gets into the intimacy zone, you know, and these are emotion, you know, emotions and things like that. They're, they're dating successes and failures, I'm sure. And it's platonic. So I know it can happen, but I, but neither of them obviously are married. Brad and I are. So that's where it's like, I don't, I guess now I'm relating to this around the idea of Heidi and I were throwing scenarios at each other. Like if I were to say, Hey Heidi, I'm going to, you know, fly to New York and go see, you know, one of my college friends Mm -hmm. and hang out with her and her girlfriend for the weekend. Like that would just be weird right now. But for you, Anne, you're at a different stage in life than we are clearly. And I can't, I guess I can't put myself in the situation of, you know, it's not as easy today when I was your age. And when, you know, I, I, I didn't have Heidi in my life. Some of the people that I was able to relate to some of the, some of the friends that I was able to talk to about stuff were actually not the guys. It was, it was the girls. Yeah. So that is where one of my other big points today came because I like to think that I have a lot of great guy friends and I was talking to him today and I was wondering what, like how is it possible that me and him could be such great friends? And he grew up with a bunch of boys and I grew up with a bunch of girls. So, and he doesn't want to talk to his mom about his girl issues. And so I'm like the sister that he never had. And he's like the brother that I never had. So that's why our specific relationship works so well. And we are very close and very best friendly. Like how long have you known him? Seven years. And have you both had relationships together? And has there ever been a moment where you thought like, I could date that guy? No. Okay. Do you think he has? No. Have you talked about it? No, but I don't think so. All right. So you, I know that there have been a ton of times with my friends, in my friend circle, boys, girls, whatever. I have never actually heard there be a successful venture of, we are great friends and it ended that way. There's always something that comes up. You, even if you will become, even if you are friends, jealousy can become an issue where they're no, they're hanging out with them more than they're hanging out with me. Like I, why am I jealous? Why do I feel that way that he's hanging out with her more than he's hanging out with me? And I'm, I'm, I'm I should be his best girlfriend, mm-hmm. right? Friend who's a girl. I just don't believe, I think emotions are too strong. I think emotions become too strong. 
you know, and me, I'm a very emotional guy. So I know I have a very hard time with it. Right. Um, as a married guy, I bet you I've seen even more times as a married guy where people, because they are married to the one person for a period of time, they become more flirtatious. They become more. And I, I have even now today, I'm like, you kind of look at it, you notice it. You're like, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's interesting. And like, I'm, talk about Heidi. Heidi is, I think, one of the coolest people on the planet. She's one of my wife's best friends. I love Andres. He's one of my best friends. Like, but I could never see myself crossing the line with Heidi where I'm like, every time I'm see her, I'm like, you know, giving her hugs and the hug lasts a little longer. And I'm like joking around that kind of thing. Right. But I see that in other, other relationships, other friends, other where you, you know, you kind of see that like, Oh man, I don't know. Like what's, what's that about? I remember vividly one time at our house, we had a party with Margaret Ann and I, Margaret and I were, were dating her together and we saw uh, a married person and a single person sitting together in the party. And Margaret Ann looks at me and she goes, that that's going to happen. And next thing you know, I mean, maybe a year later, divorce, they're dating, and then they get married and they have a relationship. I mean, I have a couple stories from high school where married couples were like best friends. And next thing you know, double divorce. And in two instances, the affairs actually happened where the husbands and the wives got remarried to the other husband or wow. wife. So I just think like there's a reason soap operas and sitcoms and all this stuff talk about it because like you would show me a real drama show me one where two guys can actually you know two guys and girls can actually live a happy life together that close and it never come up the friends with benefits conversation never comes up the you know the we're both on you know cold streaks conversation never comes up like that happens so I don't think it's as easy to just say, we're going to be close. We're going to be friends. It'll be good. Nah. Speaking of friends, I, I I don't know if you guys watched Friends in the, I don't know, was that the early 2000s? Oh, yeah. Mid 2000s? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't watch that show, but was I mean, the whole premise of the show is there's six New Yorkers, right? There's some of them that are dating, married. Some of them are having all these experiences in their life. Um, so that I wouldn't say that was my group like when we were in college but brad you've traveled with us like there's oh, just a, the, and, and we have that we have that connection it's not like it it's not like that today right we're all boring and older and have kids but it was it was it was really tight now i'll say this i have seen not specifically with uh, that group but i have seen individuals from that group uh have friendships with girls and the connection is not that the relationship is not sexual. I think it's I do think it's intimate. I do think they talk about and and real stuff is there. It's a it's a meaty friendship. But there's probably that element, and Anne, you might be able to relate to this. There's that element where you are that friend that he can go to because he's having issues with his other girlfriend or his other, you know, dating yeah. life or whatever, and vice versa. And so, I don't know. I, I don't have. I guess I don't have as as hard of a line in the sand that it can't it can't be possible. I think it's harder, and and much more difficult when you uh you know when you commit to a relationship with with a with a significant other partner. So 
Heidi and I were kind of in agreement on that. It just it just seems awkward. Like I I told her if you were to tell me you're going to go back to Iowa City, she went to Iowa, and you're going to go there for a weekend and see whoever random dude that you've been like friends with for the last 20 years a i've never really heard of the guy and then you're going like to hang out for a weekend with a football i I don't know that seems weird so i'm sure once i'm married i'm gonna have a completely different perspective on all this but right friends will be couples (laughs) right now i'm just i want it to be possible that you can have best guy friends i just don't know if that's the answer or if that's possible but like and i think it's interesting too because how you you define best like you've got a lot of friends who are girls right you have a lot of friends who are guys but who's your best friend who is the person that you talk to everything about because i've seen that source for you change (laughs) several times in the last couple years we've been you know working together right so like could you really pinpoint and say undoubtedly with that unfaltering that person right there is my best friend like if if i could pick my bridesmaids it would probably be like five girls five guys well you can it's 2021 you're allowed to do that you can do whatever i know that's why i think it's becoming more acceptable that you can have a best guy friend so i think it's evolving to that but throughout the day i've been texting like my different girl groups of friends and every single girl is saying yes 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 you can have guy friends and then i ask a different group of guy friends and every single time they're all saying no so i don't think girls realize how naive we're being and like thinking about the boys perspective i mean I, I don't know if it's naive it's just you're not thinking about it it's not that you're being naive it's that you do believe in in again in my instance if, if this is brad's couching session right i do believe women think that you can have friends because you are not physically attracted to that man, that boy. I think the what you don't do is actually establish the line, which how awkward would that conversation be to begin with, at the very beginning. And then, if you even even if you did do that, you wouldn't give yourself the chance to actually grow to get to know that person because you may find yourself. I mean, you just had a relationship where you were off and then on and then off and then on again, and you had to like learn. Almost, you learn to love, right? Like you learned to fall in love with that individual. Um, you didn't think when you first met him that that was going to be the case. Not everybody has love at first sight. I mean, Margaret Ann and I, Margaret Ann and I were drinking buddies. Like this, this is the story, right? Margaret Ann and I and our and her friend Beth were all drinking buddies. We were like a three legged stool, right? And we had my buddy Scott. So were you a guy's girl? No, I had a bunch of guy friends, but but I had the the three of us would meet up to go drinking at the Red Door. Usually on Thursday nights. So and you I, and two other girls. Yeah, but then I would have, then I'd have other other guys that would come too. We'd meet we'd meet there, right? But you know, we all would hang out, and Margaret Ann and I never really talked about it. We were friends, right? We kind of chatted back and forth, and back then it was like there was no really. I don't even think there's social media. It's not like you were Instagramming or anything. So we'd have cell phone conversations or whatever. Back then, I think you still had to like text, like instead of hitting. You know, if you want to type J, you had to hit like the number and then you had to go through K and, you know, L and <laughs> it was terrible. So Beth and Margaret Ann and I would hang out and I remember Margaret Ann and I both like all of a sudden it was like it, it, it flipped. Right. I remember her saying one day I was out back of this bar grilling up for this USO fundraiser that we had 
And she's like, that was the moment I kind of was like my view changed. Right. And but you didn't find her attractive from day one. I always found her attractive. She was, but I found her, I found her cool. Like for me, it was like, I didn't go, I got to get into that. But cause I was one, I'm respectful too. I was like, she's cool. <laughs> we were kind of getting to know each other and we became friends. We just like had fun hanging out. That it would turn into something more. No, I wasn't at the, I'm just, I'm telling you at the beginning, I wasn't hopeful. That's the point of the story is that neither of us went into it, hoping thinking that it would end up married 11 years, two kids, great life. But here we are and thank God we are because we grew the, our relationship grew together. So what started as platonic ended up being the total opposite of that because we have this amazing life together and I couldn't imagine being with anybody else. She's, she puts up with my shit. She allows me to be me, right? She saw me most importantly, she saw me at my worst when we were friends and she still decided to go out. And I remember the night I was way, way too many in and I asked her out because my buddies had coaxed me into doing it. Like our friends had decided we needed to be together, right? Like this group that we were with. It was and like she this, said yes. She did. She said yes. And we went out and it was That's like, I think y'all secretly both had a crush on each other the whole time. We didn't, we didn't, we did that never crossed until like there was a moment. Right. And that's what I'm saying is you don't know when the moment's going to come. You don't know. You can't decide when you first meet somebody that I'm going to be platonic with this person forever because you're going to ultimately have feelings that will grow or evolve one way or another. The proximity principle. Like you start hanging out with somebody, you start to see them. And almost there's like, I don't know what the proximity principle actually says. I should have Googled it prior to this show. But regardless, the Brad principle is <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find you more attractive the more I learn about your personality how we engage together than what the outside says what the outside is from the very beginning matter of fact that that's my view of it you want the definition of proximity principle i think our listeners would so the proximity principle is the tendency for individuals to form relationships with those who are close by so it's saying that the two main reasons is because people would rather be around people who are closer to them because people like being around things that are familiar to them. And the second thing was the more people come into contact with one another, the more likely interaction will cultivate a relationship. There you go. The proximity principle. Any closing thoughts as we, uh, we jump into our next topic here? What, 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 what do you want our listeners to take away and that give, give advice to guys and advice to girls on how we move forward. And then Andres, you and I will wrap it up with a closing thought on how married people can handle it. Okay. My advice to girls is to think long and hard about their friendship with all their guy friends because they are all being probably naive and the guy probably likes them. So I wish that they would be transparent with their guy friends and let them know that they only see them as a friend to let down the guys easily because a lot of girls lead guys on for days and days and years and years and years. Dude, if you could figure out how to do that, you got whole television shows. You got, you're like Oprah for women are from Mars, men are from Venus or whatever. That's Andres, any advice for the married folk out there on how to have platonic relationships? I think just look at your old photos because those days are, those days are <laughs> <long gone. laughs> stay out of, oh, stay man. out of the, uh, 
it's hard casinos in playa del carmen with dj marvin it's it's hard i mean you know look i like i said i i was always that uh friend who i felt like you know we'd we'd go to a we'd go to a bar and and i was the one who you know end up in these deep funny conversations with the girls you know embarrassing myself half the time i was always just social like that and so it's very very normal and comfortable for me I think that some of the stuff that you've said, Anne, about girls can lead guys on and it can be in this confusing state where guys might want something more. They might want to see if they want something more. And that cat and mouse kind of dynamic when you're in your 20s and sort of after college and you get to see each other on Thursday, Friday and Saturday nights or whatever at these fun cocktail parties you guys do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm at the stage now brad with, <laughs> with my with my daughter where she she puts a blanket and a pillow over her eyes whenever there's like a, a scene in a show or there's going to be some moment between a two of the <laughs> two of the characters or two of the actors and i'm like can we just keep that going for a little bit longer a little bit longer but there is going to be a point like 21 there is going to be a point where that dynamic will change and there'll start to be more hormones and more emotions and more of just a part of her life right and is is that at 12 is it at you know 11 is it at 14 i don't know but it does it does it is coming and the one thing that i'm hoping that from this conversation and when i'm in that conversation with with my daughter frankie is for her to understand the the basics of how to be treated, how to be how how a guy should treat you, how a guy should respect you, and that you do need to set those boundaries, and not hopefully not lead people on, not lead guys on, um, and and then yeah when you when you mix alcohol and all of that into it, man, it's a supercharged situation. So. We'll be revisiting this topic, I'm sure, in the years ahead. Hey, tune in for season – we're in season two. So, like, season, I don't know, six or seven, I mean, look, can Ben and Frankie have a platonic relationship? Tune in. <laughs> it gets harder as you grow up, I read. It's impossible regardless of how old you are. Uh, that's my final statement. Like, one, be smart. Two, like – if. You know, as, you, as you're an adult, I mean, like, just for God's sakes, respect people, respect boundaries and all that stuff. Call your mom. Call, call Talk your to mom. Your... Tell your lover. He's right. <laughs> all right. Good stuff, and I mean, wow, that's like our most twist, terrific uh, episode ever. I like well, it. A lot more, of topic. more stuff to come with twist. And hey, for all you millennials and zillennials out there that are listening all three of you let us know what and how Ann did let us know what she thinks what's your side of the story and all you old farts come on we need some comments we need some shares give us some social media feedback here all right <laughs> topic number two let's jump into some andre's time what you got buddy so the super bowl was a bummer for the chiefs it was a good build-up. Obviously, all the talk was going to be about is Mahomes the heir apparent, and 
going to become the new up-and-coming goat, blah, 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 blah. But before the game, which is always sometimes in the Super Bowl more exciting than the game, I ended up getting out my little trusty yellow legal pad when Brady was interviewed by Tony Romo. And I don't know if either of you caught this. If you haven't, I'd go check it out on, I assume you can find it on CBS or YouTube or something. But they interviewed all these quarterbacks up until the two that were in the game, right? Mahomes and Brady. And I think I think Brady was last. And so I was particularly interested because, you know, he's the greatest of all time. He's got six Super Bowls going for a seventh. And the first question that Tony Romo asked him, I thought was a good topic for tonight's show. And that is, how do you define greatness? And what Tom Brady said was something I wrote down and I wanted to, you know, get your guys' take was Tom Brady said he defines leadership and greatness by being consistent and being dependable and coming in and working every single day. And what the, the quote that I took from that interview that sort of stuck with me, and I'm going to use it with my kids, is you have to do the same thing on Wednesday in the preseason that you do in the week of the Super Bowl in terms of preparation and being a leader, and which comes down to sort of habits and, and that whole notion of being authentic and being who you are. And obviously, he had a huge impact on that football team and that organization in a very short order of time. And I just have to imagine what a lot of those younger players, when he walked in to that organization the first day, like what they thought and how they watched him and observed him. And even Bruce Arians said the guy had notebooks from years back on every team and every defense and every player. You know, he's a 5 a.m. sort of gym rat, right, with video and just obsessive. And, and then he started talking about this idea of his craft. And so the interview was really good. And I thought tonight, talking about this question of leadership and really specifically the question I'd love for you guys to talk or for us to talk about, and I'd like to get your take is, are leaders born and are the traits of, of great leaders who we have seen have all the success, are those, are those some of those characteristics things that you're born with or... Is leadership something that you develop over the course of your over the course of your life? And if you are aspiring leader or find yourself in a leadership position, what are the things that you use to define leadership? Again, Tom Brady said it's about doing the same things in the preseason that you're doing the week of the Super Bowl. This idea of consistency and dependability. And I, that really resonated with me. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about tonight. All right, Ann. So what do you think? What makes a leader? I think you are born a leader, but also you can become a leader after you've been trained. But you got to have that initial confidence and knowledge and independence that your parents gave you. So I would ask both of you, like, if, if, Andres, do you think, let's just lay this out there first. Do you think a lord, a, a leader is born uh, or developed or a combination of both? It, so did Tom Brady come out of the womb as like this? No, perfect, he was the 199th no. pick. It, it, right, 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 right. right. He, he didn't come out of the womb as this like perfect pocket passer and 
I'm, I'm probably more in the camp of leadership is something that you can develop and that if you just like anything, if you're willing to put in the time, if you're willing to put in the work, if you're if you're willing to to acknowledge the failures you've had and the setbacks, I think you can develop leadership. Now, I do think to Ann's point, being exposed early in your life to good leadership, to good, uh, strong, ethic, moral, you know, value, all that type of stuff, which you know you hope you you get as a young person, as a child in school, around the coaches that you have, like think that those are foundational things, seeing good habits formed, right? Uh, and some kids don't get that early on, right? And so I've read countless stories about the light bulb just went on. And sometimes it's like a kid, the light bulb went on at 16 and they just got super laser focused on whatever, sports or I got into computers and it just became this obsession and that became their craft and that was something they worked at. What I have seen in my field, in my career, in the investment field is, you know, there's this sort of preoccupation with money, but not always an equal preoccupation with people. Right. And and it's like, well, the, the the ideas, the investment ideas generate the profits, not the people. And I that's something that I would love to talk about in future shows. But to me, you can't separate the two. Right. It's like saying, you know, Tom Brady, you can be, you know, super consistent Super Bowl week and be this great example and then rewind when they're seven and five right, or whatever they were through the first 12 weeks of the season and see this whole different person. I think he was doing the same shit the whole time. It took time. It took time for that team to gel, and they gelled and came together, had a great game plan, and put it all together in the final, what, five, six, seven weeks of the season. And and then obviously really had a great game plan going into the Super Bowl. So I know there's a little recency bias here with, with my example of the Super Bowl, but He's the greatest of all time, so he deserves a few minutes on, you know, of our time in terms of talking about leadership. Now, with him, the last point I'll say with Tom Brady is I've never looked at him as this vocal leader, right? To me, he's one of these authentic leaders who he probably is in first. He's obsessive about the, the video. He's obsessive about the work. And through observation, people are like, shit, I better step up my game. And to me, that's important. That's leadership. Yeah, but I don't think that's the only part of leadership. I think there are different no. kinds of leaders. I think leadership is not defined by success uh, or being the greatest of all time. True. For me, leaders are born then developed. You are not born a you are not a born leader. Meaning, you have all of the uh, the right tools and the sharpened pencil. There are things that you need to be developed along, along the way, and it takes a village and it. It definitely has to be cultivated by other leaders and other mentors. So as we jump into that, I mean, give me each of you, give me what are you think are some key attributes that leaders possess? What is it that leaders have that you look for and, and that you follow? So in doing some research for the show, I was looking at a bunch of different topics, researching the different styles of leadership. And I came across this article called Awakened Leaders, Born or Made. It's 10 years old, 
this author named John Marks. And awakened leadership, what this guy John defined awakened leadership is awakened leaders are practicing holistic and authentic. They have a holistic and authentic approach in every environment and at every time. So whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's on the ball field, or whether it's at home with their family, they put their soul into it in every situation. They don't, quote, park it at the door. And to, to you know, the author goes on to say, John goes on to say, like, holistic, authentic, and they're, they're constantly looking to build and sustain this climate of trust. So the things that he said in terms of being an awakened leader is that you look at your failures that you've had and you grow from those as much as from your successes. I'm a huge believer in that. So you kind of, you're, you're willing and humble to go back and look at some of the things that haven't worked. And, and those experiences teach you probably more than the successes. But some of the qualities, you, you have high morals, you have clear values, you have a vision, you can communicate that vision. You have integrity, honesty, you're trustworthy. And then some of the other things that typically we don't hear about leaders because leaders are tough and, and, and bold and they're at the tip of the spear. But these, these ideas of kindness and forgiveness and courage and love and uh, being, being able to save, relate save some to for people. An, save some for Ann. So Ann, what, I don't know, Ann. You gotta, you gotta come with it. You pretty much said all of mine, but just to reiterate, I guess just confidence. They have a vision and they know how to make everyone feel included. Do you think leaders have one style? Do you think true leaders have one distinct style in which they lead? No, because they have to adapt to their group and they got to know that. I think it's very, very important. I think being flexible and nimble and, it, and being able to adjust is really one of the things that makes a very key leader. People do not receive information the same way. You will hear something. I, the exact same words can be spoken to you, Anne, that they are to me. And we will hear them or interpret them differently. Mm. And I think that's a key component is delivery. You and I have talked about that a ton professionally, right? Yeah. Delivery is something that makes a key leader. How they deliver that message. I think kindness and empathy, empathy is probably the most important thing a leader can have. Do I understand what my crew needs and how do I lead them here versus how do I lead them there versus how do I lead them in times of adversity or times of, you know, great success, et cetera, et cetera. So I think all the list, all the attributes, Andres, that you listed are dynamite. But I also think situational leaders, someone who can be a situational leader is obviously so very, very important. Well, I was thinking about it in the context of we've talked a lot about youth sports on our show as coaches, and that's a big responsibility because you have these young adults, young kids, they're forming opinions of the world and they're forming notions of fairness and all this stuff, right, at school, on the playground, but also on the on the ball field. And what you just said about being able to communicate the same message ideally to different personalities. It's not always about what you say in the huddle then, because not everybody's going to hear what you say in the huddle the same way. Not every kid's going to understand that message of let's hustle guys. Let's, 
let's let's be good sports. Let's you know sometimes you're going to have to adapt. I think what you're saying is you're adapting your message and delivering that message in a different way to your son than maybe to my son. And here's a challenge for you, Brad, because you're about to get a dosage of of Renzo this spring in baseball, and I am super excited to see his evolution and his development as a six-year-old, and Heidi constantly is reminding me of this, is he's six. And I've heard that so many times. And she's like, and it's not that I'm hard on him. I was having this conversation on Saturday with another dad at the four-hour, you know, dust off the glove. And he used a little bit more colorful language that I won't share on the show (laughs) to describe the feeling he has inside when his son doesn't show the effort. He's like, I don't give a if the kid wants to play baseball in a year or two. But when you're here and you're you're at practice, just do what you know you're capable of doing. And and so I know you can relate to what I'm saying, but yeah. with Renzo, he is a strong-willed, super competitive, but Heidi often reminds me he's 6 years old. He's yeah. young, and they're going to have a transitionary baseball season this year because they're so much younger than than all the other boys. So right. it's going to be fascinating. I I believe in there is something that you have to really think through because it's not black or white. It is it it is about, and you said something there that made me want to alter what I had kind of said about the flexibility, and the nimble you know aspect, the the customization of leadership. And that is important to a point, but there are key things. And I think we do that too much in society. There are key things that the entire group needs to hear. And repetition, repetition, repetition is needed in order to pound in those types of things. Hustle is not something that people need to hear differently. Hustle is give me your best, give me your all right now. And I'm going to continue to expect that from you, right? doesn't matter whether you're playing sports or you're playing job you're you're, you're uh, in, in a job or or in a group project or whatever it is giving your best and giving your all is a uh, is a must in a team environment when you have a leader they need to be able to explain and instill that and people who think well he's not talking to me aren't great teammates the people who need to be told that separately or in a different way um, aren't going to be great teammates. There, you will be. There will be weaker links in the chain. I have two very different kids. Well, there are parts of me, there are parts that I differ in how I parent them. My core is still the same. In our family, we have a saying of "finish the drill." I do not care. My kids are probably sick and tired of hearing it, but I don't care what you do. You're going to finish it. We also have a ten-minute rule right? That we're going to go do something. If you've committed to this, we're going to do it for 10 minutes. And I can tell you not one time has, if I got them out on that field or got them out of that practice when they didn't want to be there because they had a crappy day at school or they hadn't had their snack and they were grumpy. Not one time did they come off that field and go, I've been here for 10 minutes. Now I'm ready to leave. I had to force them to be out there. I had to stay consistent with that drive and it has always given us the opportunity to get them 
engaged. No matter what their emotional state was at the beginning, they got in there, they realized that, you know, that was working against them in the beginning. Now they're ready to go. They finally gave it their all and they finished the drill. They were out there, they finished what needed to be done and they completed the project, the task, the practice, whatever it was. So I think there are need to be core components of a leader's message that do not falter. But there are ways that that message can be delivered in in some of the details, but all reaching towards the the ultimate goal. The idea that they ended the interview, Tom Brady and Tony Romo, with that I thought was a good way to sort of wrap up this segment. Tom Brady said, in the locker room, I'm still having fun at, what is he, 43 years old? I still feel like I'm a kid in high school and I'm still trying to make the perfect throw. And every once in a while, I'll make a throw and I'll say, damn, that was pretty good. And there's other times when I'm off by four inches and I didn't quite make the release point, the spiral, all that. And it just, it I don't know, listening to him, it struck me there's a lot tied into your, this idea of your craft, whatever it is. And yet finishing with this idea of it's still fun because if it ain't fun, then it's going to be work. And so I think that has a lot to do with leadership because I think leaders, when the stress of leading a group of people or taking on a hard project or trying to do something really big, when it becomes work and it doesn't become fun, I think you start you start seeing issues arise. So let's make the baseball season fun. Let's let's use this opportunity as two dads trying to coach up a bunch of six and seven year olds that are going to be at all different levels. Some of them are out there because their parents want them to be out there. And some of them are out there because they want to be the next Bryce Harper. Baseball, for whatever reason, is different than some other sports. I don't know if it's because there's so much focus on, oh, did he hit the ball or did he not hit the ball? You know, in other sports, you sort of, you know, soccer, football, basketball, you're kind of out there with a bunch of other kids and you can't really tell, like, the star emerges here and there. But with baseball, there's a lot of, like, you either made the throw or you didn't. You either hit the ball or you didn't, right? You either beat the throw out or you didn't. So there's a lot more judgments, right? Uh, So it'll be fun to watch, fun to see. And I think coaching is a lot different, too, than leading. I think you can be a coach without being a leader. I think you uh, you can't be a leader without being a coach. There are going to be moments where everybody wants to pull their hair out in youth sports because kids aren't listening and it's you know, we're we're out there as volunteers and kids are playing in the dirt and you know not not listening and twirling around or whatever. And it is about how you work with those kids, but at the end of the day. We also are too soft on uh, these kids in general, in my opinion. And that's what, you know, it's my opinion only. You and I may disagree on a lot of that of, you know, there needs to be tough love in some instances, but still continue to be positive and, re- and reassuring and encouraging, not just constantly beating them down, but finding the balance in those two things. You know, from a leadership standpoint, if you can develop trust, that trust comes from consistency in your message that trust comes from faith from them that you are not asking them to do something that you would not do or haven't done, right? 
rolling up your sleeves mentality. The old uh, image of a, I think it's a mountain, right? Like leaders versus bosses. And it's, uh, there's one leader, a boss at the top of a mountain yelling down at the entire team to make its way up the mountain. And on the other side of the mountain, there is a leader who is actually helping people up the mountain, right? There's a big difference. I think that's very, very valid because I do think a coach needs to be able to, to lead. But again, a lot of coaches aren't people that have been or are born leaders. I just, I I really truly believe that if you can develop that trust and you develop that consistent message and can do things that are trying to get the group across the line to the common goal, those are the leaders you want to follow. Those are the kinds of people that you want to you want to stick your neck out for. Um, but anyway, it's a great topic. I mean, there's a million different ways we can go with this. We actually had, you know, when we had Tim Spiker on so very early, and he talked about the only leaders worth following. You know, I've started to read parts of that book, and it's really, really fascinating. So, you know, everybody's got their opinion on it. Great topic, though. Love talking about it. Right on. No, I I agree. It's it's uh it's one of those, it's one of those topics that can go full circle because we we see great leadership and you kind of know what it looks like but then there are multiple types of leadership and i think in all of our many dimensions of our life as fathers as husbands as coaches as volunteers as scouts as employers employees you have lots of opportunities to serve in those different capacities sometimes as a follower sometimes as a leader and absolutely being able to be a good follower is just as important. You don't so. always have to have the reins. Absolutely right. That's right. Well, Hey, good stuff. So let's wrap things up with this week's final four in the spirit of the very special delivery that I received today from one Francesca Sindate. Tell me your favorite girl scout cookies. If you haven't bought your girl scout cookies, make sure you go out and support the girl scouts Buy those cookies. I'm sure there's still some available in your neighborhood. But I will tell you that I just had more than I needed of the dosi dos, the peanut butter cookie filled dosi dos. Good. What you guys got? Thin mint all the way. I've been a thin mint girl my whole life. I'll never change. Frozen or unfrozen? Frozen, 100%. Man, that good, good, good. I like you already. Andres, what you got? Are you a Samoa guy? I I, I am a. Caramel delights. Loser. Damn, dude. That's just bringing it off the shelf. I like peanut butter patties. Oh, you can't have two. You have to have Damn one it. favorite. All right. I'm, I'm going to go peanut butter patties. I will, I will end this with the worst, the worst Girl Scout cookie, in my opinion, is it, uh, a, was it Treffles. Those are crap. So you got three good ones and a crap one. I will also give you, I think recently they brought the s'mores out, which I can get on that wagon too. But keep those treffles at home. Oh, crap. Hey, gang. Great show. Good stuff. I mean, fun topics. I like this doing just a couple things and uh, seeing where it takes us. That's it. Wrapping up this week's Biz Dads.